This is Valerie Fletcher, curator of the Joseph Albers exhibition at the Hirshhorn Museum. Standing in the first gallery, uh, this is the work that is very little known by this artist. He was actually at the Bauhaus in Germany from the time it started until it closed, that is from 1919 until 1933. And in this room we have a mix of his works, a very early self-portrait showing him as thoughtful, pensive, a little serious but unemotional. On the other walls we have a mix of geometric designs in black and white that he intended for eventual production in factories as art affordable to the masses. These would be made in laminated glass layers. In between the self-portrait and these later works at the Bauhaus is a wall with seven illuminated glass works. They tend to be square and rectangular in shape and they progress in date from the first one, 1920, 21, to the last one in 1929. This is perhaps Albert's most important contribution to art at the Bauhaus as he was trying to find a modern way to continue the tradition of stained glass, not for churches but for everyday homes. And indeed he planned some of these as windows, stained glass windows for ordinary workers' homes. The first one is literally filled with junk. When Germany was recovering from World War I, they, they had such massive inflation that even at the Bauhaus they couldn't afford artistic materials. So he went down, at this point he was still a student, to the town dump and looked for broken glass, especially colored glass bottles, which he would then break into pieces that he could fit together like a jigsaw. And then these would be uh, illuminated from behind as they are here. Here we're using artificial light, but the idea was they would be actual windows with daylight coming through. And as you walk past the seven uh, glass works, you see that he went from that jigsaw-like one to a more structured one, still made with broken bits of glass, but now evenly arranged, to a style that came to be known as his thermometer style, because there are grids and arrangements of horizontal and vertical lines in basic colors, principally black, white, red, and blue. And then finally, the last grouping are part of a series called Skyscrapers. This is before he had ever come to the U.S. He had never seen New York in 1929, but he had seen photographs of skyscrapers, and the Bauhaus was very committed to modern architecture. So he shows us three variants of the same composition, black on white, white on black, and then the one that is yellow, translucent, with slight bubbles in the glass, glowing so that you can see through it, but not quite see through it. You can see it as cityscape or just as an abstract design. The next gallery, much, much smaller, uh, is from after Albers came to the United States in 1933. He was married to Annie Albers, a weaver who was Jewish, so they chose to leave Germany quite quickly in 1933 after the Nazis came to power. And we have in this room an interesting hodgepodge of styles and materials. He kept on working in geometric abstraction, but he also started experimenting with organic shapes and forms. Those tended to suggest movement and vitality, perhaps related to the fact that he was teaching his students at the time to make materials from anything they could. 
This was by now in the 1930s, the Great Depression. And so he was showing them how they could make art from cabbage leaves or tree leaves, sand, cardboard, paper, almost anything. And in fact, the best uh, and most interesting examples of that period and that type of work are three collages made of leaves on one wall. These are on loan to us from the Albers Foundation. And if you look at the one on the left, he's taken fern leaves, placed them horizontally, and given them little eyes. In other words, the little reinforcement rings that we use in three-hole binders, they were brand new materials back then. He took them and used them to suggest eyes, and so now these fern leaves suggest fish swimming in water. The largest installation gallery in this exhibition is one that's devoted entirely to abstract compositions, entirely square, large ones, small ones, medium-sized ones. Albers created this long series called Homage to the Square, not because he was in love with the square shape, but rather because he wanted to experiment with the interactions of colors. And the way to do that best is to control all of the elements of the design or the composition, keep them constantly the same, therefore a square, but then to constantly change and experiment with different combinations of colors. So for example, on the outer wall, we have two paintings that both start with yellow. They're both 48 inches by 48 inches. One, however, is very serene and contemplative. It's a vivid, vivid yellow on the uh, large portions, and in the center is a silver square. The transition between is kind of silver yellow, which sometimes creates an illusion that there is an opening into the canvas in which we see the gray, or conversely, that the central gray square seems to hover in front of the overall yellow square. The other painting, equally sized, also starting from yellow, progresses quickly through shades of orange to a vivid fire engine red square at the center. This one again, you contemplate first the beauty of the colors, but then you notice that there seems to be a kind of movement. You can't quite always tell if it's moving, if your eye wants to move from the small, strong central square outward to the more diffuse yellow yellow-orange ones, or whether it's a focusing in from the more diffuse colors to the intense center. In between those two large paintings are five of the smaller series that he made at the end of his life. These are homages to the square that are made with uh, serigraph ink rather than paint. And there you can see two of them have yellow and orange combinations, two have some green in them, two of them have gray, but all in completely different combinations. The point is not to insist on a theory of using color, but rather to encourage us to just look, look and look, look from a distance, up close, for short periods, for long, and see what our eyes and our brains perceive, and to take that acuity of perception out into daily life with us. The last three galleries of this exhibition present works by artists who knew Albers. Some were students, some were colleagues, some simply admired his work. So we have on view works from the Bauhaus, some weavings by his wife Annie, and then works that present Albers in a kind of six degrees of separation. For example, there are purely abstract compositions by Burgoyne Diller, and by the op artist Richard Anuskevich. 
there are also textural works. Robert Rauschenberg, for example, studied under Albers, and he was most impressed by Albers' teaching of materials, of looking and seeing how far you can push certain techniques, as well as colors. In the final gallery, we have perhaps the most uh, distant but still connected works. Uh, Donald Judd, for example, is represented here. He never worked with Albers, never studied under him. At first, thought he was only a color theorist and then eventually came to realize his importance overall in composition, ideas, materials, and forms. So Judd actually had an exhibition of Albers in his uh, own studio and foundation. He had a small homage to the square hanging in his office. It was the only artwork in his office. And Louise Nevelson, who never worked with Albers, but both admired each other as using both uh, construction, form, and colors in ways that are very evocative. Perhaps most difficult to appreciate in terms of the connection is Ad Reinhardt, and that's largely because we don't get to see the paintings that shows most strongly the connection between him and Albers. Albers invited him to teach at Yale in 1952, but most of the paintings from that period suffered uh, bad deterioration, so we can't show them. We show instead the one surviving painting in good condition, an all-black work more or less to suggest how Albers influenced and inspired artists having nothing to do necessarily with color, but with perception, with subtlety, and with a love of geometric abstraction.